for their mom so what they did was they and she didn't ask for anything so they, they decided every year they're going to throw this huge party so they do or they did they throw this giant party and and Dume didn't leave till about four in the morning four four thirty and went home uh, shortly after that a few days later he went to California to visit his cousin and uh, his cousin asked him he said I gotta go get some money from a guy can you come with me and and just just ride back up. Just help take care of things. And, uh, and, and Dume did that. And during the, the altercation, there was a shooting. And, and Dume wasn't on site. He was in the car, back up. Nobody was killed, um, but his cousin turned on him. His cousin turned on him and said that Ndume was the one who fired the shot. And he was arrested, brought up on charges, and was sentenced. The store owner, or the guy who got shot, actually said that that's not the guy. But nobody listened. Actually said that it would be a shame and an injustice if he goes to jail for this. Well, his sentence was 15 years for attempted murder. At the same night of his mom's birthday party in 1983, in a city, he's in St. Louis, in Memphis, Tennessee, 280-something miles away, at 8.30 in the morning, there's an attempted robbery, attempted robbery gone bad, and a store employee gets shot and killed. Through a series of, uh, of circumstances, at best, they track the, the getaway car, to St. Louis Airport, handprint, picture of Ndume. He's arrested. Evidence looks like he did it. A, uh, a witness says that he did it. And he's sentenced to, to the death penalty for murder. And here's the thing Ndume has never been to Memphis, Tennessee, he's never visited the city. He's never traveled to that city. He's never been to that grocery store. He's never owned or been around a car like the getaway car, a maroon station wagon. But that was enough, I guess, or not enough, to keep him out of prison. So he goes to California, and he finishes his 15 years, or finishes his sentence there, and then they transfer him to, to Tennessee to, to, to now sit on death row. That feeling you have inside, that feeling of injustice, that feeling of, of how could that happen in our, in our country where, where things should be fair and, and, and people should act justly. And, well, that's the feeling that we're facing this morning as we read in Acts 24. Paul is put on trial for things he didn't do. He's faced certain people. He's faced the important people. He's faced the tribune. He's faced the, uh, the council. And now he's facing the governor of Caesarea and the governor of the, the area in which they, they are, the Roman governor. So let's, let's begin reading in Acts 24. And after five days, the high priest 
Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For you have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him because everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards God and man. Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he would be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. And some day, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Now, there was something I mentioned last week in the sermon about about the circumstances where Paul was taken from um, Jerusalem and and led to Caesarea by God's providence through circumstances. And one of the things that I said was Paul was innocent of everything he did. He was innocent because he had the same faith of their fathers, the same faith of the Jewish fathers, and that the gospel was a fulfillment of the law and didn't abolish the law. Jesus even said that I did not come to abolish the law. I did not come to tear down the law. I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. So Paul is an innocent man now sitting on trial. And I don't know if you've caught all these crazy 
um, things and circumstances have happened within this trial, but things don't look good for Paul. Things are, are leaning against Paul. So here we have three different people speaking, three different speeches, so to speak. We have Paul's accusers, we have Paul's defense, and we have Felix's response. And as we walk through this, I want to point out some, some, uh, some ironies, some, some things that just don't make any sense, and then we'll, we'll talk about this injustice that Paul faces. First of all, Paul's accusers. Now I want to point out in verses 2 through 9 that at the beginning of this speech, this man who's a lawyer, Tertullus, he represents the, the Jewish council, he represents those who are trying to have Paul, Paul killed, he says, since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation. When the new emperor came to Rome during around this time, he summoned Felix and wanted to talk with Felix. So Felix went, and the emperor wanted to tell him to, to, to calm down his brutality. Felix was known for being brutal in the way that he treated um, the people in this region. He was known for the brutality and cruelty towards the Jewish people and the people here. That, that emperor was Nero. So I don't know if you know Nero. Nero's known for putting Christians on stakes and lighting them on fire as lamps down the street. So this is the guy who's telling Felix to calm down a little bit. So for, for the lawyer to open up his statements and say, since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. He is talking crazy. He is kissing this guy's you-know-what to try to get what he wants out of the situation. It was said that Romans make a desert and they call it peace. They would level places and they would come down with great force and, and assault and they would call that peace. And this is what this lawyer presents to Felix, the governor. Oh, great Felix, thank you for everything you're doing for us. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for how great you are. It's interesting that last week we talked about God's providence and how God worked through the circumstances of, of uh, the, the Roman uh, tribune and worked through the circumstances of the guards and then worked through Felix just in those scenarios to take him from, from having his life threatened by a group of 40 Jewish men who, were going to, who swore to kill Paul and not eat or drink anything until that happens and to now, this lawyer says, and since by your foresight, or another word for that is since by your providence, in other words, you are in control of everything and make everything happen. These Jewish leaders, these religious Jewish leaders have turned from their religion. They've turned from what they believed in order to accomplish something for themselves. If you notice... Paul does the same thing. Paul doesn't turn from his beliefs. Paul, though, does address Felix in an encouraging and edifying way in verse 10. Knowing that for you, for, for many years, you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. 
Now, what Paul says is, is completely true. He doesn't flatter him. He, doesn't, he just says, you've been judge over this land. You know the circumstances in which we live. And I'm glad to defend myself. It's quite different. It's quite different than this lawyer here. They bring up charges, and, and of course they, they fabricate some things. Sugarcoat, if you will. You will. But to detain you, verse 4, but to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Paul says, I've been here 12, 12 days, and people can attest to this. That's not enough time, Paul, is why he's saying this, is I've been there 12 days, I've been in the temple this many days worshiping, there's not enough time for me to, to stir up trouble. I haven't caused any riots, and he calls this belief sect of the Nazarenes, which Paul addresses in his defense. And then this lawyer says, by examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which I am talking about. In other words, just talk to him. He'll tell you. You can hear. You can see what's happening. He is, he is guilty. Well, Paul isn't guilty. He's actually innocent. They think that he... Uh, profane the temple by bringing in somebody who wasn't a Jew to the holy place, place of worship. Well, Paul didn't do that. Paul didn't do that. He knows the rules, and he went, as he says later on, that I was purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. That was verse 18. Paul is sitting here, and he's, he's standing there in this situation. He's listening to this guy bring charge after charge after charge that he didn't do. Innocent. He is surrounded by, by crooked men. A man, the governor, who doesn't bring down judgment because he's hoping that Paul will give him money. Crooked men who want Paul killed because he's disrupting their life. Paul is sitting there helpless in a situation that um, doesn't look good. For him. Notice Paul's defense. Verse 11, you can verify that it is more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd. In other words, what he's saying is false. Either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city, neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept. What Paul has done is said, I believe everything they believe and they agree with me. So what they're accusing me of, I'm innocent because I, because if I was guilty, they are guilty. I believe the same thing. I'm teaching the same things here. There isn't any difference between what Paul is saying, what he believes, and what they say they believe, except they don't live out what they believe. Having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the, ju and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience to both God and man. Paul is defending himself, and he's saying, I am innocent of what they say because they're making things up. I am innocent. I have clear conscience. 
In the face of injustice, in the face of, of things and circumstances all against him, he stands for truth. He stands for what he knows is right. The question for you and I is, do you stand for what is right in the face of injustice? Do you stand for, for circumstances that, in circumstances that just don't look right? For people in your life that, that may be suffering from injustice, do we stand with them? Do we help them? <clears throat> Old Testament scholar, uh, his name is Bruce Waltke. He's talking about justice. He says that the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. I'll read it again. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community, to make the sacrifices necessary for the community. And the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. His reference to this is in Micah, which is a verse that may be on somebody's coffee cup in this room. It says, He has told you, O man, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now this idea of doing justice, this application here is in life. It's not... It's not, I'm going out and I'm going to do something good and, and just and right. It's as I'm going, my life, my experiences, the way that I love people, the way that I serve people, the way that I live is living with justice in mind. It's quite different than, than these religious leaders. See, these religious leaders take advantages for themselves and disadvantage for everyone else. This, this same Jewish Leadership, religious leadership, were hoping for a Messiah to come to overthrow the same people that they're in court here, hoping and trusting in to kill this man and have this man sentenced to death. It's the same people, the twisted people that, that are standing here making up things so that Paul can finally be rid of for the rest of their lives and then go on living their corrupt lives, taking advantage of situations. But to live justly, as Micah says, is to live a life that has others in mind. To live a life that's been changed by the gospel. To live a life that serves others. So the question isn't, isn't should we look at Paul's life and, and try to be like him? That's not the question. Yes, we should. We should try to live this way in the, in the, in the, in the moments of despair where circumstances don't look good. And injustice is at our, in our face. Yes, we should try to stand as Paul stood and speak truth. But the question really is, is why don't we? Why don't we do that? What keeps us from doing that? We think that God doesn't love us enough? We think that we, we, we can't do it enough? We think that, that the circumstances aren't, aren't, aren't bad enough or, or they're, going to, they're going to take care of themselves and, and be okay sometime? Paul spent over two years in this scenario. Spent over two years being imprisoned, albeit with friends being able to come and go and having some freedoms. 
being in prison because of these people and the twisted injustice that was around Paul. What would you do if you're faced with, with this? How would you live? How would you get through? Notice that Paul is kept and Felix visits Paul. And they talk. He brings his wife, starting in verse 24. He brings his wife, who is a, who's a Jewish woman. She's familiar with what Paul is talking about. So, so Felix may, is probably familiar with what Paul preaches in verse 25, and as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Paul is, is, is preaching the three tenets of Scripture, three tenets of the gospel. God's righteousness in Christ alone, imputed to us through Christ. Self-control, living out a life of obedience practicing the disciplines and coming judgment that we're going to be held accountable for the life in which we live and we choose to live. And it disturbed, it alarmed, it, Felix didn't like it. Now we don't know, we don't know exactly where Felix is spiritually. We don't know exactly how much he understood or, or what was he willing to listen to, what wasn't, but we know that this was the line this was the line that Felix said, enough, it's time for you to go. Paul stood and Paul spoke truth and spoke the gospel, even in the circumstances of imprisonment. Now I know, I know we're looking at a guy who wrote most of the New Testament and, and it's easy to, to lift Paul up and say, we should be like Paul. Let's be us all try to, try to achieve and, and work hard and really be disciplined and, and try to be like Paul. Well, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, we, can, we can look to Paul, but we know the gospel says that we can't be Paul. We can't be good enough. We can't st strive to, to work hard enough. The gospel tells us that, that everything we try outside of the power of God is sin, that we cannot do anything good apart from Christ. That's what the gospel tells us, that we are sinners separated from God and that we need him. And so when we talk about injustice, when we talk about those who are being mistreated, those who are, are hurting, those who are in trouble, those who are in circumstances like Paul, we can work hard, we can come alongside them, we can help them, but it's not enough. See, justice can't be our, 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 our trumpet. It can't be our, our, our life's mission. We, we are we're fighting for justice. It doesn't work. In Dume, after 20 years of being on death row, was finally found that he didn't commit that murder, but they didn't give him a, uh, they didn't retrial. They gave him a, they just said that sentence was, was too much, and now they've taken him off of death row. After 20 years of going through the, the, the hoops of, of, of appeal being denied, and another appeal within days, and appeal after appeal after appeal for a murder that he didn't commit, and a, and a shooting in California that he didn't commit. And Dume spent 28 years in prison. 28 
years. And here's the sad part. That he, he, he had to plead guilty with the understanding that he was innocent in order to, in order to get out of, out of prison. Which means that nobody will be charged for the offense that he was charged with. Nobody will go to jail. Nobody will be held accountable for the crimes that were committed. Everything was in the police report. The lawyer did a bit a poor job defending him. In fact, the lawyer's closing arguments was somewhere along the lines of the way he summed it up in an article. He says, the lawyer said, I don't know if this guy is worthy enough or not to live or, or die. That's up to you to decide. He had nobody coming to his defense. His, they, the lawyer skipped over family members who could have said this is where he was. And now nobody is going to be held accountable for those crimes that he committed. See, see here in, in this world in which we live, justice falls short. Justice just isn't enough. And for you and me, if justice is our our life's mission, if justice is our trumpet that we're going to, 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 to blow at every second and every moment and we're going to fight for justice, it's not enough. You and I have to, have to fight for more. We have to stand for more. We have to stand for the gospel. We have to stand for Jesus. We have to stand in these moments and these circumstances where injustice is happening and we need to proclaim the gospel like, like Paul does to Felix, the governor, a man of power, a man of brutality, a man of cruelty, and Paul is standing proclaiming the gospel to him. That's what we need to do. We don't need to go and, and leave this place and say we're going to be a people of justice. The gospel is justice. The gospel brings justice. We may not see it here on earth, but we will see justice. Do not... Do not mistake. Do not, do not be deceived, guys, into thinking that, that justice alone works or is enough. Don't believe that. Paul didn't believe it. He didn't look at his circumstances and say, I must defend myself at all costs. And Felix, here, let me tell you the circumstances again. Let me tell you what's happening again. Let me tell you what they're trying to do again. No, he has a message to proclaim. He proclaims the gospel. You and I have something that we must do. Stand for injustice, but do so with the gospel. Martin Luther King Jr., in his letter from a Birmingham jail, he says that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with the narrow, provincial, outside agitator idea. Never again can we live thinking that circumstances are going to take care of themselves. Never again can we ignore scenarios and, and, and moments and say, that's, that's, it's okay, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take care of itself. We can't do that. Jesus voluntarily, voluntarily took injustice for us. 
See, if we stand here and we say that we believe in justice, be careful. Be careful. Because justice says that you get what you deserve. Right? Justice says that if you kill somebody, you go to jail and you sit in prison. Justice says that if you, if you cheat on a math test, you get a zero or whatever the rule is. That's justice. But if we say we believe in justice, then, then you and I in this room believe, or believe, <laughs> not believe, you and I deserve punishment by eternal hell, separated from God forever. So if we believe in justice, and we believe that God is a God of justice, that people are going to get what they deserve. The Bible says that, that we deserve death, that we deserve hell, we deserve punishment for our sins. Romans chapter 3 says, None is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, no, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not, no, they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is who we are before Christ. And this is why Jesus took voluntarily took injustice on for us. He voluntarily gave up his life, made a payment for our sins so that God could show us grace, so that God could show us mercy and not give us what we deserve. So if, if justice is your, is your trumpet, let that, let that justice be, be colored, be shaped, be molded by the gospel, be fueled by the gospel and not by right and wrong. Because you and I deserve a whole lot. We deserve a whole lot of punishment for our sins. And Jesus made a way so that he took that punishment on for us so that we can live lives and we can be justice people, people of justice here in this world. And we can teach people what it is to, to love Jesus, to have a life that is changed by Jesus. That we can stand before a governor like Paul and say, Reason with him about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, about God's righteousness in Christ alone. That, that this doesn't make sense, Felix. I know that this doesn't make a lot of sense, but listen to me. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he gave us his righteousness, which means we are right before God. I know that doesn't make sense, but this is what's happening. In Christ alone, we have been made righteous. And Felix... I know this doesn't make sense, but because we've been made righteous, we can live a different life. And because we can live a different life, we, can, we don't do the things that we used to do. We don't desire the things we used to desire. We desire holy things and good things and right things. Felix, I, I know this doesn't make any sense, but listen to me that there's going to be a judgment and we're going to be held accountable for what we choose to do and how we choose to live and who we choose to believe in and what we choose to believe. Paul boldly proclaims the truths of the gospel to Felix, to a governor. And I know it's not, it's, not a governor like, it's not a governor like we think of now that we have, or politicians. He may be a politician, but this guy, again, I cannot emphasize, Nero told him to calm down. 
brutal man. Brutal. So here's what we can do when faced with injustice. Here's what we can do when, our, when we're faced with injustice and our lives have been shaped by the gospel. We can defend those who are facing injustices with an uncompromising grace. We can defend those who are facing injustices with an uncompromising grace. Because we've been shown much grace, we show others much grace. Because we've been loved, we, sh we show others love. In Leviticus, how often do we go to Leviticus here? Not very often. In Leviticus 19, verse 34, it says, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is the laws that, 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 that Moses, has, through God, is, is telling his people. And this law was, was for, for, for Israel to take care of those who are sojourning through the land. He says, what God is saying to them is, is, I have taken you and I have rescued you out of Egypt. I have rescued you and I've made you my people. I have set you apart for my glory and I've, 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 I've done this great work in you and therefore you shall treat others this way. In other words, your life and my life should be shaped and molded by the gospel, and there's no other option. So the, the theological and motivational basis for doing justice is salvation by grace. That's our motivation. So, so in, in facing or being faced with injustice, we, we defend those who are facing injustices with uncompromising grace. Whatever they need, we, we stand with them, we partner with them, we volunteer with them, we do what it takes in those scenarios and circumstances. Now, I, I, I realize that, that most of us are not going to be faced with, with somebody who's on, on, on trial for murder and, and didn't do it and as innocent as Ndume was. I realize that, that, that we're not going to be, be facing a, a civil rights movement like Martin Luther King faced where, where he has to eat in a different, different restaurant or drink from a different water fountain or use a different bathroom that he didn't, he wasn't, his skin color determined whether he was human or half human or three-fifths human or, or whatever. We're, we may not be faced with those things, but, but we do have scenarios and situations where things do happen. Think about sex traffic, trafficking. Think about women who are being kidnapped and abducted in order to sell them, in order to use them for, for gain, for financial gain. Think about, think about other situations. Think about uh, uh, kids in, in, in classroom where, 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 where one, one kid is, 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 is cheating and the others are not, but you know, but do you say something? Do you not? Do you, do you, do you mention anything? These injustices happen all around us. We may not be faced with those big scenarios or circumstances, but we can defend those who are being faced with injustices. Secondly, we stand with uncompromising truth and love in the face of injustice. We stand with uncompromising truth and love. Paul stood with uncompromising truth and love. He loved Felix with truth. He loved the Jewish people with truth. In Romans chapter 9, Paul says that I would do everything I could. I would even give up my life in order that my people, my Jewish people, my brothers and sisters would know Jesus. 
He loves these people. He's not, he's not saying they are wrong and they are despicable and they need to be punished. He's not saying those things. He loves those people and he is speaking truth so that they can hear them and so they can hear it. Proclaim with uncompromising truth and love. Stand with uncompromised. I'm sorry, I mixed them up. Proclaim with uncompromising truth and love. Stand with uncompromising hope. We mentioned this last week, and Paul mentioned something completely different this week that, that goes together. Last week we talked about God's providence, and, and we wondered if Paul, seeing the scenario, hearing from his nephew that these 40 men were going to kill him, that wanted to kill him, and that they were going to try to get the tribune to take him, to move him so that they could uh, catch him in the, in the middle and, and, and kill him and have him, have him, have him uh, murdered, that, 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 that Paul had, has his nephew go tell the tribune. The tribune goes tell, uh, says, get your get, uh, 200 men, 200, 170 horsemen. Get all these 470 people total. Get all these people together and move him from Jerusalem to Caesarea. Uh, we wondered, I wondered out loud with you guys, was Paul smiling throughout this scenario? Was he seeing God working? Was he seeing God's providence throughout these circumstances? And now Paul is standing, boldly proclaiming the truth of the gospel, boldly proclaiming his innocence here because it is true. And he says, verse 16, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward God and man. Verse 21, Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. See, Paul believes in the resurrection. The Pharisees believe in the resurrection, but the Sadducees do not. And that's the one thing that they say he's guilty of. You, don't believe, you believe in the resurrection. We don't believe in the resurrection. We disagree with you. You are guilty. And Paul admits, no, I, I do believe in the resurrection. See, the resurrection brings us hope. The resurrection gives us hope. The resurrection, Jesus being resurrected from the dead, Lives being resurrected from the dead. Jesus destroying sin, destroying death on the cross. No longer dying, no longer being dead. Jesus' resurrection takes the power from our hands and puts it on God's. You and I can't walk around resurrecting people. If you can, I'd really like to talk to you about it. Because that's pretty cool. But we really, we can't. We can't go around resurrecting people. God can. And that's what, ha that's, that's what resurrection does, is, 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 is Paul trusting in God's control, trusting that, that, that sin and death have no power over him. The, the control is no longer in his hands. It's not in those Jewish men's hands. It's not in Felix's hands. It's in God's hands. And Paul had hope. He stood with uncompromising hope. And finally, Trust in an uncompromising Savior. Trust in an uncompromising Savior. Trust in an uncompromising Savior. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have been made right by faith. 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are no longer enemies with God. We no longer fight against God. We now live for God in Christ Jesus. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, in our circumstances, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and a hope that does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We stand in the face of injustice by trusting in an uncompromising Savior. Jesus voluntarily took on the injustice of our sin, took on what he didn't deserve so that we could live. Jesus took on something that he didn't need to take on. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. That we might become the righteousness of God. That we might become right with God in Christ Jesus. So this morning, it's not a, it's, it's not a call to go out and, and, and fight injustice only. This morning is a call to proclaim the gospel, and if injustice is in your way, stand against it. It's not a call to, to go out and, and do your best and, and try really hard at fighting those things that just make you feel sick. When you think of in Dume's situation of 28 years in jail, 20 years on death row, It's not a call to, 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 to go out and, and try hard and just fight and, and protest and, and do all these things that you can do. It's, it's a call to proclaim the gospel and in so doing, rid injustice. In so doing, fight for justice. The religious leaders called Paul's belief a sect. Said that he was a plague they said it was, it was a sect. There's these guys believing this crazy stuff over here. Paul corrects them and says, in this, this way, the way, we call it the way. But this I confess to you that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God. The way is straight. The way is narrow. The way is difficult. The way is hard. The way is trying. And in public arenas, in private places, in schools, and in life in general, we're going to have to, to defend justice and defend and fight injustice. It's a reality of where we are and the world in which we live. There's nothing there's nothing that, that we can't say in the last six weeks that's happened in the last six weeks and say everything's going great. Look around the world and see the chaos that is, that is more and more in our face because of social media, because of news stations, because of all these things that are, that are in our face. 
whether it's the attacks in, in Orlando, to the attacks in Turkey, to, to Germany, to all these scenarios that are happening, the, the, the attacks in, in, in Baton Rouge and, 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 and Minneapolis and, and all these places where injustice is happening over and over and over and over, it's in our face. And we can, we can close our eyes we can put our heads in the sand and hope that, that it, it'll go away. But I close with this. And as I read this, think about right now, think about where we are. Martin Luther King writes later in his letter, things are different now. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often it is an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. If we're not going to stand, who will? And we don't stand for justice only, as I said, we stand for the gospel. We stand for Jesus. We proclaim truth in the face of injustice. We proclaim the gospel in the face of the justice because he's the only one that can fix things. He's the only one that can fix things. Let's pray together.